Pharmacy Podcast Nation. You got to listen in every Tuesday to stay up to date on the most recent medication therapy topics. Game Changers creates awareness about pharmacotherapy and clinical practice changes that can significantly impact pharmacy practice. Every Tuesday, a new episode of Game Changers is published on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. And always remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare. to another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University and all around blabbermouth. <laughs> so uh, welcome to another another week uh, uh, where we hope to give you guys some some good information, information that, that pharmacists and other healthcare professionals can use having to do with pharmacotherapy and uh, especially for the boots on the ground, people who are dealing and working with patients every single day. Also, our pledge to you is to, to try not to make this uh, the COVID show, which is difficult to do, as you might imagine. But uh, I think we've actually done a pretty good job last few weeks. We've, we've only done one COVID show in the last two or three weeks. So I, I feel that that's pretty good. I think uh, people want to want to want to know that there is actually other medicine and, and other research going on in the world of, of medicine beyond just COVID and and guidelines and stuff being released that really do affect uh, many, especially primary care practitioners and people who see patients, you know, in, in the trenches every day. And that's actually the focus of what we're going to be talking about today, which is uh, the new guidelines from the American College of Physicians for treating musculoskeletal injuries um, and uh, the role of topical therapies in that. And uh, we'll talk about all that as we kind of go along here. First, as always, uh, please, if you uh, uh, like what we're doing here, please head over to wherever you're getting your podcast and like us. And uh, uh, please uh, spread the word to uh, to everyone you know who's in medicine or is interested in medicine, uh, that this is a, hopefully a, a pretty quick and pretty easy and pretty painless way to, to learn about new stuff coming out. Uh, those of you who are pharmacists who are interested in CE, um, again, as always, we thank uh, CE Impact for sponsoring the show, but please do go over to CE Impact where uh, you can sign up for uh, several of their of their very uh, affordable and, and excellent CE packages, of which one of them is this. And if you do, in fact, do that, not only do you uh, get to learn, hopefully, something during this talk, but you also get uh, CE for it. So you actually get 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 some reward for, for listening to me blather for 20 minutes. And it's a super, super simple process to, to do so. So again, please head over to CE Impact and do so uh, as, as we go along. So anyway, today we are going to talk about uh, topical nonsteroidals and, and really in the context of the new guidelines that were just released August 19th uh, by the American College of Physicians, the American Academy of Family Physicians on uh, the treatment of topical musculoskeletal injuries. And so we're talking again, kind of those, you know, usually fairly minor, you know, though they can they can be, you know, fairly painful, but but usually minor acute muscle musculoskeletal injuries that we all deal with, uh, you know, sprained an ankle, you know, bumped an elbow, you know, things along those lines. This also kind of strays a bit, even though the guidelines don't talk about it. I think the guidelines, this does stray a bit into the treatment of, of some more chronic uh, pain uh, conditions, such as osteoarthritis of the knee and things along those lines. But the guidelines here are, are again, are primarily focused on those, you know, non-low back pain, musculoskeletal injuries that I suspect, especially the community pharmacists listening, do have people wander in and say, hey, you know, is ibuprofen okay for me to take or, 
you know, what about Tylenol or, you know, things along those lines. So you patients, you know, usually don't see a physician for it or, or uh, they either self-treat or often do see their pharmacist about that. So I hope this is something that, that if, if you are a community pharmacist in particular, get a chance to, to take a look at these guidelines. So uh, without belaboring the entire guidelines, which are available uh, online for free right now at the Annals of Internal Medicine uh, website, uh, they basically, as you might imagine, basically point out in a substantial amount of the guideline how opioid therapies are, are really not what you want to be using in most of these patients. Um, and uh, and this isn't just because of the of the risk of addiction and, and dependence with these medications that, of course, uh, there's no need to belabor, which is I think we're all pretty well aware of now, um, is that there's now been several studies, randomized control trials in uh, acute injury that have looked at, at, at things like, you know, opioids versus non-steroidals and basically found that at, as far as pain control, in most of the cases, uh, they're about equal to each other as far as pain control. You don't get a lot more pain control uh, for acute musculoskeletal injuries, uh, the minor ones that we're talking about here, um, from, from opioids over non-steroidal. So it isn't even just a question of, of you know, gee, it's, you know, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get addicted and all that. That's certainly an issue, but you're not even really getting the benefit of, of greater pain control in most patients. And so, uh, you know, they say that, that, that this has been studied and opioid therapies are really associated with little to no benefit with these patients and, of course, substantial harms. And in those same studies, while they didn't really take a look at addiction and, and overdose and things like that, they did take a look at things like CNS depression and drowsiness and things like that. And it was much more common, as you might imagine, in the opioid arms of those studies compared to the, uh, to, to, to the non-steroidal arm. So, so, you know, as is probably not surprising, the ACP guidelines do very much say that, that, that opioid therapies are really not your first line or not even really your second line in these patients. And, and, and really, th there should be a, a wide range of other types of therapies that, that uh, um we should try before even thinking about opioids. They also call out tramadol, which I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of glad they did. And I, I, I suspect many community pharmacists listening uh, might kind of be nodding their heads. Uh, you know, I still think there's this kind of uh, mindset out there among, among, among a group of, of clinicians who believe that tramadol, because at one time it was not a controlled substance, you know, is not really an opioid and it doesn't really cause addiction and it doesn't really cause dependence. And I, certainly in my career, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard practice practitioners say that. And whenever I say that, I'm, I almost always have pharmacy students with me on my on my uh, services. And I always turn to them because they're usually working in community pharmacies and say, so if you had to take a guess, do you know any of your patients seeing your, in your community pharmacy who are addicted or dependent to tramadol? And they nod their heads because, again, you know, it's it's a mu opioid receptor in, uh, agonist. So there would be no reason it wouldn't cause all the same problems that the traditional uh, opioids do. So it was nice to see that the tramadol did actually get a call out there saying, you know, we're, we're not talking about Percocet and 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 Vicodin here. We are also talking about Tramadol. That these are not first line or second line, maybe even not even third line. Uh, that we really should be trying a lot of other things. And what really gets the most uh, 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 recommendation in here is is treatment with topical nonsteroidals, uh, with or without menthol gel, and that that is listed as the first line therapy for symptom and pain relief and physical function and improving pain and patient satisfaction. So that. 
that's actually first line is topical nonsteroidals. Second line is oral nonsteroidals and, and, and or uh, other types of things like Tylenol. And then third line, they move on to, you know, actually they even call out uh, uh, acupressure and, and acupuncture, which is kind of interesting for, for an allopathic medical journal um, and, and TENS devices and things along those lines. But uh, in their review, the, the authors, you know, basically state that they found that topical nonsteroidals are the most effective and safest therapy uh, for these for these uh, um, acute musculoskeletal injuries. They're associated with reduced pain, uh, reduced symptom function, and improvement in physical function. And so uh, uh, he says acetaminophen is certainly an option as well. Uh, they, they, they say oral uh, nonsteroidals are, are reasonable, but it's also important to keep in mind the harms associated with oral nonsteroidals that we will get into in just a second. And then they talk about, again, some of the non-pharmacologic therapies. So uh, uh, they base all this on a systematic review they did on uh, the comparative safety and efficacy of a, of a numerous uh, set of drugs and non-drugs for acute pain for lasting less than a month. So again, this is the kind of the minor sprains and, 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 and bumps that we all kind of get, I think, in day-to-day -day life. Uh, it, they actually, in the systematic review, included 207 trials that enrolled about 33,000 patients and evaluated 45 treatments. So quite a lot of things have been looked at. Um, and they were mostly, you know, strains, you know, pains with whiplash, muscle strains, pulled muscles, things along those lines, contusions, things along those lines. Um, and in this study, again, they found that, that, that in the systematic review and meta-analysis, they found that, that in particular, uh, ankle sprains and, and other types of sprains, uh, acute low back pain and stuff, do seem to uh, have some good uh, efficacy when it comes to, to uh, or topical nonsteroidals seem to have good efficacy when it comes to, to treating those things. And they actually found that, that they had the, the most effective, uh, uh, most robust data for pain relief at two hours, and that uh, they didn't seem to have uh, significant adverse effects. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, some of the other things that were looked at in this um, uh, uh, meta-analysis included some pretty bizarre things like uh, codeine, uh, 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 sublingual fentanyl, which I'm hoping nobody out there is even contemplating for the treatment of a sprained ankle, um, uh, Tylenol with a, for the variety of, uh, of other therapies, cyclobenzaprine, which we've talked about previously as, as, a, as, a, as a muscle, a skeletal muscle relaxant and things along those lines. And they really kind of came to the conclusion that, that topical nonsteroidals are, are, are kind of the way to go. And so that's going to be first and center. Now, how does this kind of impact you know, the, the community pharmacist, because uh, as we all know, recently, uh, uh, topical nonsteroidals, which for a while in the United States were, were prescription only, have recently become over-the-counter. So uh, I think pharmacists are going to be in a much better place to, 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 to uh, recommend these medications and, and, and have them appropriately used. The, the saga of, of, of topical nonsteroidals is kind of interesting because uh, topical nonsteroidals have actually been available in most other places in the world for over 30 years. Um, um, Topical ibuprofen, topical diclofenac, topical ketoprofen um, have uh, have all been available in England and in Europe uh, since at least the 1980s. And uh, uh, you may ask, well, gee, why weren't they ever available in the United States? And that's a question I honestly don't know the answer to. Um, you would think that with the millions of people taking nonsteroidals and the drug's known adverse effect profile when taken orally, you know, why wouldn't you use them topically? Now, it's interesting to note that the 
that though that the even though these drugs have been around since the 1980s, the 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 literature surrounding their efficacy and safety wasn't very good. Um, um, again, probably because they were pretty old drugs. That real robust randomized controlled trials looking at efficacy and safety just really weren't done. And so you know even though you could run to a you know a a, a, a chemist in in London, shall we say, and and probably get diclofenac or, or ketoprofen patches or gel, um, there really wasn't a lot of studies showing that they were efficacious or safe. I think they kind of fell into that kind of nebulous thing that, that you know, I, there's a, for a long time things like salon pass patches and, and menthol rubs and things like that, which had all been, you know, over the counter for a long, long time. There just wasn't a lot of data suggesting they were, they were efficacious or safe. So I think they kind of fell in, in, into, that, into that realm. And so, you know, in the United States, we just never had them. They just weren't, weren't an option for, for, for most people until about 2015, when finally uh, diclofenac gel, diclofenac patch uh, um, were both uh, uh, approved by the FDA for prescription use only. Now, you know, it, it certainly, you know, stands to reason that topical nonsteroidals would work, right? We know that 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 nonsteroidals work by by blunting pain responses and causing anti and decreasing inflammation uh, because they block uh, prostaglandins and other pro-inflammatory and pro-pain uh, signal uh, uh, chemicals in the body. But as we're all well aware, you know, long-term use of nonsteroidals and even sometimes short-term use of nonsteroidals can be associated with side effects. And you know, we, the the two that in my world as an internal medicine pharmacist that I deal with all the time, of course, are, are GI bleeds and, and acute kidney injury. And, and, you know, the data is very clear that, that, that especially long-term use of nonsteroidals is associated with an increased risk of GI bleeds, and you multiply that risk when you pile other drugs onto the patient that also increase the risk for bleeding, and that includes aspirin, that includes, you know, uh, um, uh, even SSRIs have been shown in some studies, interestingly, uh, if they're on anticoagulants like warfarin or any of, of, of the, the NOACs, anything along those lines, that's going to dramatically increase the risk of, of GI bleed. So again, we've known for a long time that, that, that nonsteroidals can cause gastric ulcers and they can lead to acute gastrointestinal bleeding. And then, of course, acute kidney injury. And again, you know, by themselves, nonsteroidals uh, uh, um, decrease afferent flow to the, to the kidney. And so because of that, they can, they can cause uh, glomerular damage and, and lead to, 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 to acute kidney injury. And again, if you just keep piling medications on to patients who can also also do have negative effects on the kidney, like ACE inhibitors, someone's on Bactrim because they have a urinary tract infection, uh, they're taking some loop diuretics, things along those lines. Again, that's all going to lead to that lead to that potential for acute kidney injury. But I also want to call out that, that there are some other adverse effects that I don't think we think too much about with nonsteroidals, even though I think they've gotten quite a bit of, of press in the last six or seven years. We, we really haven't touched about them, and I, I, I'll be honest, they don't really enter my brain a lot, and that's uh, the cardiovascular risks of nonsteroidals. And, and again, you know, there, there had been, you know, a flurry of studies in the early 2000s that really kind of suggested that, that you know, all nonsteroidals uh, were, were associated with, with an increased risk of MI when used chronically. Now, again, this would probably be in older patients who have other risk factors for, for, for uh, MI and, and, and who have maybe even existing coronary artery disease. And so, you know, you know several large studies suggested an association, several meta-analyses suggested an association, but then it really kind of bore down 
down to is that all non-steroidals? Is it only certain ones? You know, as I understand the data, the latest data suggests that again, probably all non-steroidals do have a small but not insignificant risk for increasing uh, 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 myocardial infarction in patients with known coronary disease or known high risk factors for coronary disease. Does that mean that you've got you know someone who you know has hyperlipidemia and has a headache they can never take ibuprofen for it? Of course not. This would be something more along the lines of chronic use, but I think it is a chronic adverse effect that we just really don't think about with, with the non-steroidals. Uh, the other one is fluid retention, and especially in your patients with uh, some degree of chronic kidney disease or heart failure, uh, both uh, uh, preserved and reduced ejection fraction heart failure, uh, non-steroidals can cause fluid retention. And again, that's a, that's a, that's a, uh, a, an adverse effect of the drugs that I think a lot of us just kind of miss because we, we don't, we, it's not something that patients often complain about, or at least they don't complain about to their pharmacist, right? Um, I can tell you that over the years of working as an inpatient pharmacist, I've seen several cases where someone was, you know, they hurt themselves or again, sprained their ankle, did something, and they decided to take, you know, pretty much scheduled, you know, uh, ibuprofen around the clock, and they just happened to have um, uh, heart failure, and they noticed that they were starting to retain more fluid and getting more short of the breath because they're getting pulmonary edema and things like that. So, if certainly, you know, uh, you know, we we know that there's a litany of adverse effects that are associated with nonsteroidals, more long term certainly, but even in the short term, they can cause some damage. So, certainly, topical nonsteroidals make sense because, again, we know that that most topical uh, formulations deliver high concentrations of of uh, prostaglandin and other pain uh, blocking chemicals. Uh, 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 to right to the site of injury, right? So, you know, I don't need to have those, 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 that blockade occurred throughout the body. I really just needed to have it at the site of injury. And so it certainly, from a, from a mechanistic standpoint, certainly stands for reason that it would work. Uh, multiple studies, uh, not great studies, admittedly, did look at, at uh, topical diclofenac, both gel and patch, to get the drug FDA approved for things like, like minor sprains and stuff like that, and did find compared to placebo, big surprise, that they were more effective in, in, in doing that. So I, I think that there's certainly proof of concept and, and, and I think certainly clinical data that suggests that, that, that delivering uh, non-steroidals right to the, to the site of injury and concentrating that, that, that drug and, and blocking those chemicals right at the site of in, injury is an effective strategy in many areas of pain management. So now the second question that I think pharmacists get asked a lot, and I know I do, is, well, okay, well, that's great, but the drugs still say that they've got a, you know, they, that you should use them in caution or don't use them in patients with with, with uh, a history of, of ulcers or with, with history of kidney problems, are they safe in these patients? And the, 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 the $64 answer to that question is we don't have conclusive data and we probably never will because it would, it would take a, a very big study uh, to be done and over a long, long period of time. So at some point we may have a large kind of uh, um, a database type study or population type study that's done retrospectively to help answer that question. However, most short-term studies, um, and by short-term I mean up to six months of therapy, have not shown, even in patients with risk factors for uh, uh, um, uh, these things like uh, GI bleeds and, and um, acute kidney injury, uh, neither uh, uh, these topical nonsteroidals have not been associated with an increased risk of developing a new GI bleed or a new, a, a new uh, acute kidney injury. So uh, the, the evidence to date based on the randomized controlled trial data that we have and the evidence to date, I think, uh, based on, on uh, retrospective studies have suggested that, that these drugs are relatively safe to use in patients who you probably could not use oral nonsteroidals in. And again, those are, you know, 
I had someone who had a GI bleed five years ago, and you know now he's he's twisted his ankle. Can he use topical nonsteroids? The answer to the question is probably yes. Um, you know, and and as always, you know, try you know you, you use the low you know use the lowest amount for the lowest uh, uh, period of time as possible, and as soon as the pain goes away, to not continue the therapy on those patients until we get more more data. So I actually feel pretty comfortable uh, recommending uh, topical nonsteroids in patients who I would not normally use oral nonsteroids in. Um, and most of my, 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 uh, the physician groups I work with feel the same way. Um, there are side effects of topical nonsteroids, but they're almost all completely uh, local, uh, 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 either patch uh, uh, irritation or, or topical gel irritation. And that's something that in one study was shown to occur in up to 15% of patients. So it is not something you want to take lightly, not something something you don't want to want, want, want to warn your patients about. But as far as the systemic side effects, it does not seem to be so far for the data. We have a very big issue. And again, that again stands to reason when we know that, that uh, for example, the, the diclofenac patch Less than less than 10% of the of, of the drug is enters the systemic uh, circulation. One study suggested even less than 5% did. So it you know it, I think again mechanistically it certainly stands to reason that that we would not see a whole lot of systemic uh, uh, circulation of the nonsteroidal with uh, these uh, topical forms, and so they should be much much safer uh, than 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 the, than the oral formulation. So you know I, I think as these become over the counter, I think these are questions that the pharmacists are going to face uh, pretty. Pretty commonly now, and I think you know having the latest information is is really kind of the way to go when when we're talking to patients about this. Again, no drug has no no side effects. We all all know that, but um, I, I think that it is reasonable to, to to use these drugs short term in patients even who, who would not probably be uh, candidates for for oral nonsteroidals. We don't have any information on fluid retention or anything like that. But again, with the low amount of these drugs being absorbed, I don't think that's likely to be a problem with these. Uh, other uh, companies are looking at different types of nonsteroidals for more delivery. So I would not be surprised if you see an increasing number of, of, of agents in this space coming out in the next uh, five to 10 years. Um, ketoprofen uh, is, is actually in phase three studies right now. And it, you know, will it go right to over-the-counter status or will it be prescription for a couple of years and then go over-the-counter status? So that'll be very interesting to see what happens there. Um, there are other topicals as well. The other topical that, that, that I've had some luck with over the years uh, for other types of things is, is, is topical lidocaine. And of course, now that 4% topical lidocaine patches are available and are much less expensive than the lidoderm patches, which most insurance companies wouldn't pay for anyway. Um, I think, again, that's, that's, another, that's another powerful tool you can use, um, especially in people who have point tenderness. Um, I've actually had very good luck personally with uh, uh, um, uh, uh, lidocaine patches in people with uh, uh, compression fractures with osteoporosis. You know, they're in a lot of pain and you're trying to minimize the amount of of opioids they're on, and I've actually had pretty good luck just slapping a patch right on the where the pain is, and they can usually point right to where this little bulge in the back is where the pain is, and you can slap a patch right on that, and, and it seems to work really, really well. Um, so I, again, I've had pretty good luck with that. It's not going to have them running in a marathon after they put it on, but it can certainly decrease the amount of, of systemic uh, 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 analgesics they're using. So, so you know, bottom line, I think pharmacists are going to play a big role in this. I think, I think that you're going to see uh, with these guys lines, you know, that it kind of cements the fact that the topical nonsteroidals are here to stay, and I think they have a, they have a good role in, in, in a variety of, of, of different treatments. Uh, topical nonsteroidals uh, have at least some data, even in things like uh, knee osteoarthritis, and I think they are reasonable to, to, to suggest in patients who are trying to avoid 
lots of oral nonsteroidals in and just see if it works. Um, and 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 so I think we're going to see more and more topical nonsteroidals as 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 guideline people and and studies recommend their use and, and do start to re recognize their relative efficacy and their pr pretty pretty good safety profile. So that's uh, we'll kind of wrap things up in a second. But first, a word from our sponsor, CE Impact. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit to CE Impact subscribers. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So a very common, uh, uh, a very common set of conditions that pharmacists are going to get asked about, especially in the community, is musculoskeletal injuries. Uh, patients will treat themselves, et cetera, et cetera. When you get asked about it and you see that, oh, hey, I've got, you know, I've got topical uh, diclofenac on my shelves now, you know, who gets it and, and who can get it? And I think that, that pharmacists can play a very key role in, in, in selecting appropriate patients and also referring patients if they have pain that goes on beyond what, what would be normal for that, say, you know, two to four weeks if they're still having significant pain, maybe there's something else going on there and it's time for them to, to get some imaging done and seeing what's going on there. But I think pharmacists can play a big, big role in appropriate use of topical nonsteroidals and counseling patients and providers on, on their safety and their efficacy. So, so that's it for this week. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Again, please like us if you, uh, at wherever you listen to your podcast and, and spread the word. Let's get more people listening to uh, Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I will see you next week. And remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day you have is today. Take care.